This is your host, Darren Kaster here. Thank you very much for listening to the Green Majority Podcast. We have a bunch of exciting and interesting news. Uh, This week we put it at the end of the show, so uh, please stay tuned for that. At the beginning, we couldn't not talk about the breaking news, uh, which you'll find out in about a second. I'll stop now and let you uh, just listen to it live. Uh, Right after this reminder that if you can support us, we do desperately need your help. There is uh, a lot of uh, money required to just put on even a pretty much volunteer, entirely based show. uh, And you can help be a part of that. Be a part of that solution. Help us get some better equipment and be heard by more folks and spread sanity. You can do that by becoming a member at patron.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority. Uh, Stefan, can you hum the theme song for us? No. <laughs> All right, there we are. Uh, I'm going to add it in post, so anyone will be confused. Let's just play as if people were just listening to it. All right. Uh, All right. I was also going to say uh, just that I was considering we should do a cold open once in a while. Ah. This, is our, this is a forced opportunity to do a cold open. All right. Well, there we go. <laughs> so no exciting music to make me seem more dramatic than I would normally be, like a like a WWF wrestler or something like that. We're just going straight into the show. This is the green majority you're listening to here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Uh, probably also uh, in several people's podcasts. Uh, yours, I uh, hear. I get email. We've gotten a lot of email. In fact, if you're one of those people that have emailed us, I am 12, uh, nearing 1,300 emails deep. So please be patient. I will get back to you. Uh, <laughs> but we have uh, a, a good show for you today. Obviously, a lot of things have happened. I went to sleep last night, for starters, uh, hearing the news that almost certainly there would not be a Brexit. And of course, I woke up to a, <clears throat> a bit of a surprise on that one. So we've got a few things to talk about. I want to cue a little bit of the news because, uh, Stefan, you're going to take us on a little bit of a Brexit ride here in one second. Uh, and uh, we'll come back. So there's a number of other news items, but just because of the f- way the format worked out today, we're going to start with that. Uh, I also have Cheryl McNamara with me as well, who's going to uh, who's been on previous talking about sim- citizens' climate lobby, but we're going to be talking about a play that she wrote, which is uh, environmentally themed as well. We're not going uh, taking wanderings uh, like last week uh, as well. Um, but uh, we'll be doing that. And then there's a number of news items at the end end of the program, which will leave sort of the news section, the, the majority of the news section for the end of the show today. Uh, I'm going to cue one of the ones which we're certain, well, two of the ones we're going to certain, and then there will be some some other things in there as well. Uh, and one of them, of course, was some interesting numbers about the 97% consensus number. Uh, and uh, the other the one that I found the most shocking uh, was that uh, China's capital, Beijing, is sinking uh, by 11 centimeters a year, apparently, four inches Per year, satellite studies warn in Beijing. Uh, that a lot of very interesting things on that. But first, before we get any further, Stefan, I'm going to let you talk about Brexit. All right, thank you very much. Um, I am going to switch mics. Uh, man, this is a we're living the dream here today. Um, so the reason actually why I if wanted you'd like to, to support CIUG, call in your donation now. <laughs> um, it, the reason why I wanted to do a cold open actually was because of this news story. Uh, I wanted to sort of you know I felt like that was the way to sort of bring. Uh, I feel like that's how you know in part because you know breaks it uh, much like uh, much like today's show just sort of came upon us like a wave. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one really anticipated it, uh, and then bam. We're already here. Um, 
And, you know, it's funny. I, I went out, actually, uh, as, as an aside, just interesting note about our state of the media. Uh, I went out with a, after, uh, after a wonderful Sustained Collab event last night, actually. It was, it was, it was great. It was a great panel. Uh, check out Sustained Collab. They're doing a lot of cool things. Uh, I spent a bunch of time tweeting a lot of comments. Uh, my favorite uh, was that in the middle of the panel, uh, just in response to something, um, the, uh, Julia Langer, the CEO of T- uh, the Toronto Atmospheric Fund, uh, just popped in, and j- all she said was, tick, 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 the ice caps are melting. Uh, and as like a as, like as a response to as a response to someone else, and it was it was it was just so great. Um, so you can check out my my Twitter feed if you want to see more highlights from the event. It was it was great. Uh, but after that, uh, I and, a, and, a, and another guest tried to go find uh, a place to actually watch Brexit uh, or watch the results come in, uh, which yes is the nerdiest thing I have ever said. And we found here's the thing about this is we found. A politics uh, a, a bar that is both British British themed and was right beside the city hall, so it's politics themed, and they still did not have any channel in which you could actually watch Brexit. Uh, even BBC Canada was playing was playing something else. The CNN was just following Donald Trump around like it always does, uh, and so we gave up and just drank beer and watched it on our phones. Um, but, anyways. Uh, so, for those of you who don't know, uh, the UK voted to leave the EU la- yesterday, uh, and almost by fifty-two percent of the vote. It's it was no one to say it's like before there was the, the, the sort of the betting line was about twenty percent chance before the day started that that they would vote to leave, uh, and and a lot of people who were actually were even running uh, the leave campaign or who voted leave also just thought it was basically a loss campaign. This was to some extent in their minds a protest sort of thing, uh, but it was very serious and very seriously won, um, and it had some ramifications. Uh, even already, like even as soon as it was announced, the pound has now dropped to its lowest rate in 35 years. Uh, there's already rumblings that Scotland wants to get, once again leave and join, and because Scotland voted overwhelmingly to stay in the EU, uh, so now they're talking. Well, they, about, they voted to not leave the U, uh, to leave the UK. You know, so they so they, they voted to stay in the UK about a year about six seven yeah. months ago, but then also voted to uh, yesterday. Oh, right, Scotland yes, yes, voted yes, yes. to stay in the EU, whereas England overwhelmingly voted to leave the EU. Uh, so now there's rumblings that Scotland will vote to leave the UK and join the EU. Uh, there's even talks that Ireland will reunify just so they can join the EU. Northern Ireland can join the EU because they also voted there. Uh, so <laughs> this quite quite possibly could break up the UK. Um, you know, and it has other reaching effects. Or the entire EU, you mean. Oh, or the entire EU, yes. Uh, it will almost certainly break up the UK. It might break up the entire EU. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, 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 the impact has been so immediate. Morgan Stanley has already begun moving 2,000 jobs out of London uh, to either Dublin or Frankfurt. Um, you know, uh, gen- like, it, it, what's fascinating about this is it's so rare to have just the entire... Uh, like to have basically everyone in the world be like, this is a bad idea, and then to actually have a vote go the op like to 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 do that bad idea, uh, you know, it's it's you like, every major political party uh, except for the incredibly racist one uh, said that they should stay, uh, you know, like every single every single other world leader uh, except for Donald Trump, who's not a world leader yet, thankfully. Which um, on that note, when was the last time you heard a con- like a statement by the leader of the Chinese government, and right. even they were like, hey guys, by the you know we kind of keep our voices down over here and just kind of like take your money and don't say very much um, but you guys should really not do that yeah and like every <laughs> single person says and, and and i think that gets like gets us to a very interesting point uh which is that one of the quotes from the leave team uh like a, the leave's argument was pathetic 
uh, it was mostly racist, uh, and then uh, and then had you know hints of Despaigne protection and nationalism. That was basically their entire argument. Uh, and so one of the quotes from the team was that the UK is sick of experts. That was his response to why we should why we should leave is because the UK is sick of experts, and and what, what's terrifying is that proved to be true. <laughs> You know, what's terrifying is that what we saw yesterday was 52% of the UK, something like 17 million people, come out and vote against every single intelligent opinion on the planet. Uh, and it's like, nope, we want to leave. And so a part of like, what I, this is going to get to the environment in a second, I promise. But a part of this question for me is, like, how do we get here? Uh, and and you know and and, it, it, and it's obviously super super easy to make the connection between the Brexit and 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 Trump, in that it's the same it's it's the same ideology it's the same sort of thing, and we're seeing it on a lot of different places. Uh, and what's interesting about it is I think it ha- comes from a relatively similar place, which is that this catastrophe is largely David Cameron's making. Uh, it comes from a place where uh, right wing, uh, sort of right wing, but you know, elite right wing, uh, use dog whistles uh, of dog whistle racism and uh, and encoded language uh, as a way to bring people uh, on their side that they could get, only to have at some point conv- basically lose control mm. of, of of their electorate. You know, the fact that David Cameron can win a, can win a majority and then get so soundly trounced on this issue proves that while they thought they were creating it, uh, what they thought they were creating a controlled beast, they completely lost control of. You can see the same thing with the, with the Tea Party in the United States and how Donald Trump got elected. Um, and, and this is like, and this, so it was, it, it's not to say, it's, it's, it was completely created by them. And when you understand, when you look back why, in part it's because their policies just devastated a percentage of the populace. Um, and you know, like there's a very interesting comment from a from a from a reporter going back to the, going back to his home in Northern England, who is basically like, "Look, my hometown voted 65 percent chance to leave because they don't have jobs anyways. So you can't make an economic argument for them to stay because they don't have an economy to speak of. Mm. And you've devastated the social state. You've devastated the actual social safety net so much that what el- like what else are they to do?" Uh, you know, like it, what currently is happening isn't working, and to keep telling them to keep waiting for what currently is happening to work uh, is uh, is is you know kind of silly. And so they latch on to these other ridiculous ideas. Like the number of people who have said they want to vote Trump just to shake things up. This is what shaking things up looks like, and yeah. it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, and so to, to 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 sort of get back to 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 bring into the the environment is that as we're sort of seeing all these different things, it's becoming more and more clear that the world needs something to believe in. The world basically doesn't believe in anything anymore. Like we've spent a bunch of time conv- trying to tell people that it's cool, wait, our government systems will work. It's cool. It's wait, government systems will work. While the government has continued to be like, eh, let's cut these safety nets. Let's cut these things. Let's cut these things. And so now they are, don't believe it anymore. And it's because we've been not believable. Yeah. Uh, it kind of makes me if I can just jump in yeah. for a minute it kind of it kind of makes me think of like uh, you know how I am with metaphors or whatever I can't help myself so it's kind of like you know if you're like in line at like a, a club and somebody keeps pushing you from behind you don't know who it is and, but you're kind of drunk or something maybe you're trying to get back in and eventually you know you get hit the fifth time and maybe it was five different people but you don't know that and you just kind of turn around and shove somebody and like screw you and start a fight that's kind of what this response is like there's a legitimate there's a legitimate problem that needed a solution but the solution that was taken was terrible 
Yeah. Well, right? And so, but you can understand the knee jerk, like, hey, you can only push me so much before I'm going to push you back. Okay, but that's not necessarily the best way to solve this problem. But I totally understand why you feel that way. And that's sort of what you're getting at. Well, well we don't have jobs anyway. What, what the hell do I care? Well, and then, and then you're, and then they're, and then you're, they're told there were, so I'm just going to burn down the whole house and everybody else with me because I'm screwed. But I mean, but it's understandable still. But yeah, but, but they've been told for the last 20 years that, that, the, that these, you know, that, with these sort of dog whistles of like, well, it's really the immigrants that are causing this problem, right? Uh, and they're, and they're, they've been they've been put in this politics of fear and fear and fear and fear until the fear got so much that the people who thought they were controlling them with fear lost control. Yeah. Uh, and and suddenly and suddenly went out and it said something brash. And it's 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 a terrifying reality. But like it was, you know. You can see, like, what I find so funny about the Republican specific, and again, I will get to the environment, I promise, is that in the Republican area, they spent so much time basically disregarding facts that when finally someone decided to double down on disregarding facts, when, and their reaction of, like, no, facts matter, everyone's like, you've never said that before. You've already convinced us facts don't matter, so we're not going to listen to you because you haven't tried a facts for the last 20 years. And so it's, it's, it's no wonder that you cannot – you can't reel that in because you've given up on any type of argument you can actually have. Uh, and so the environmental connection here, and I promise I'd get there, uh, is that – in a, the the biggest fear that I had, even actually two weeks after, uh, even, even like after uh, after the Lando shooting, and then after uh, the, the the murder of Joe Cox, uh, or the assassination of Joe Cox, the British MP, by someone who wanted the Britain to leave, um, and then this is that. The wor- a world focused on dividing itself and, 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 and playing these nationalistic policies are never going to come together and respond to climate change. Like if we are, we are on the ver- it's like we're on the verge of trying to get a whole group project uh, together uh, and we want them all to sort of go out and actually get this group project together. And yet, but then Sally broke up with John and that's going to cause, that's going to cause drama for the next three weeks and, and the group projects in two weeks. And so we're getting nothing done. We're sorry, everybody. And, it's the amount of speed we need and coming together we need is so at odds with the conversations that we're having now. Uh, and I honestly don't actually have a great, rea- great understanding of what we can do about it. Uh, beyond the best hope is, you know, as uh, you know, I was at the again at the Sustainable Collab event last, I was at last night, uh, Chris Turner, former guest of the show. Um, Who's not really? Uh, he, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a comment near the end. It was basically being like, we just have to convince them that the other world is better. Like we just—that's it. We have to do it. We have to convince them that that this world's better, and that's all I've got right now. And it's even that feels in a moment like today kind of weak. You know what we need, Seven? What? Two words: alien invasion, <laughs> existential threat. We'll pull people together real right. fast. I promise yeah. you. The problem is there's there's no existential threat that's that's something that, that will like you know respond to bullets or insults. Well, because climate change is an existential threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but it doesn't have like state. it's not something you can shoot at. Yes. It relieves a lot of stress. <laughs> uh, a couple of really quick comments. Yeah, so on a technical basis, yes. So we have a, a regulatory issue because the EU was uh, advancing a number of uh, the, the stronger types of regulations globally, not necessarily in all cases at all times, but generally speaking, was pushing the right direction, not always even in the best way, uh, but was attempting to get some of those things done with or without a continued breakup of the EU. This will be harder to push because uh, it was being done so with the force of the UK government when it did it. Now it's not, and it may have even less power. So there's a problem there. Uh, a really quick comment about the um, about the Trump effect too and I think that I think that was even more apt than you spelled it out to be um, because 
sort of as like I was getting at, there was an idea of sort of anger for a justifiable reason being directed at the wrong place, which is Donald Trump. <laughs> that is in 100 percent of people who support him, who are people who are legitimately angry and should be angry, are just taking it out in the wrong way and have been tricked to do so. Uh, but that's sort of part of the problem. Right. So like but and uh, sorry, one thing at a time. I'll finish my first. I'll finish that before I get the very last thing. So it just the idea that people have been sort of fooled and what but but it's understandable. So don't like a, I, I guess what I'm saying is like, don't. Don't sort of write it off as racist. I'm not saying that you're necessarily even doing this, but like I, I hazard people against just writing it off. Oh, 52 percent of the British public are racists. No, it's not that simple. Uh, just like it's not that simple that every single Trump supporter is racist. These are just people who are have become convinced that the traditional system is not only isn't going to help them, that the alternatives are not going to help them, but that the entire that they're just sick of the whole thing and that it's there's no one that's going to help them. And the only way to get any chance is to do a Hail Mary that's burned the house down. And that was uh, the Trump is a burn the house down vote. Uh, voting for Brexit was a burn the house down vote. And we have to understand this within the context of the world that we live in, which is that a don't assume that people who support Trump or Brexit or any of those things are necessarily ignorant racist. Some of them are. Many of them are, but not all that if you would you'd be misunderstanding where this is coming from to do that. And B, understand that that is the attitude. It's not just a certain part of that population. I mean, on one hand, it's it's Trump. But on the other hand, it's Bernie Sanders. If you add all that stuff together, you've got a majority of the population that really just wants to burn the house down. It's not because they want to burn. They want the house to be on fire. It's because the the house is unacceptable. (laughs) And if we take this as an opportunity to be like, hey, there's a lot of attitude for some really drastic change. Maybe somebody should just try directing it in a constructive direction rather than establishment versus maniac, which Mm -hmm. seems to be world over our choices uh, and very lastly very quick comment and then i don't know if cheryl wants to jump in or we'll go to a break and come back and talk about the play maybe do you have anything you want to throw in uh, Sabina okay, does. so a quick comment right, so my very last thing and we'll get a quick comment uh would be is that here with the problem was was the uk is this is the same thing i've been harping on forever and the same thing we were doing on this the, the mini program on which was the the problem is is people being able to play regions against uh, regions against regions so uh the the uk is unhappy because the eu is suffering why is the uk's uh, eu suffering well because the eu is trying to pass laws that help people but because there are other parts of the world that don't have to have those laws they have a competitive disadvantage so there's all that causes all sorts of problems. The solution here is not to well, the solution may, in fact, actually be to break up the EU, but you can never solve this problem until you have some sort of, and I'm not talking about global government, we're talking about some global standard of which there's not optional, and here's what you do. People, oh, you'll never get all the countries agree. You're right. Here's what you do. We're going to have a new trading deal where you, we just don't trade with you at all. 100% full Iron Gate trade embargo, unless you sign on to these basic understandings, things like climate change, things like worker regulations, things like minimum healthcare standards. Don't like it? Fine. Go trade with your other, you know, go trade with North Korea and go trade with whoever other, you know, rebel states. And good, you guys can have your whole clandestine market and screw you, we're going to be over here. Like, I, there really is no other solution because otherwise we're just going to have the same thing and same thing, same thing where somebody tries to do something good and everybody else who doesn't care or has no morals or just wants to be rich is just going to play them off each other and win. So it's time for some aggressive, some very, very aggressive love. And we need some guidance of some extreme burning the house down solutions that don't involve asking people nicely, but also don't involve and blaming it on non, you know, everybody who's not white or everybody who's not from your country. That's the end of my rant, Sabina. (laughs) My comment is pretty quick, but it was pretty much on what you guys were talking about before as people trying to burn the house down. What I really think is that 
the reason why the activism community has gotten so much traction lately and there's so much hope is because of this really deep desire for change. And I think that the people that are not as well informed go the opposite way and are the people that vote for Trump or vote for Brexit because they have that same deep innate desire. Okay, I want change because everything that we've been doing or this this capitalistic system is just not working for us so they try to put whatever a maniac uh, in front so maybe let's let's completely destroy it and then we can build from there but i think that this is the complete opposite end of why the activism community has been so so much more positive recently and has gone so much further than we've gone before is because people really do want change it's just the information that's being fed to them is is um is lying to them and there's not to say that we are perfectly informed and we're extremely extremely intelligent it's to say that the mainstream media speaking from a media's point of view the mainstream media is telling us that these are our only choices so people are taking the worst choice in order to maybe destroy to then rebuild i, I don't know that's basically. do you have a quick comment or should we save it for the uh, next session cheryl <laughs> Yeah, and just to, to add, I mean, I think my concern is definitely uh, what's going on. I'm The big concern I have is, is with migrants right now and um, what's happening with climate change, exasperated by really terrible uh, political choices in the Middle East. Um, you know, we are seeing wave after wave of migrants, and that's only going to continue with this breaking up. What does that entail for the future? So I am very concerned. But, you know, as Sabina says, I'm also heartened. I'm heartened by um, the activism that's happening. I'm heartened by the fact that the price of solar panels is going down dramatically and there are reports coming out of the Canadian government say, stating that oil might be a minor player in, within 10 years. So, and the jobs that's going to that's gonna create and, you know, to Stefan's point, people in Britain are freaking out because they don't have jobs and, as you say, they're, you know, directing their solutions, to, you know, they're making really terrible solutions. Maybe if more people have jobs in the green tech sector, it will just calm everybody down. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, the world's kind of on fire, but I don't necessarily see that as a doom scenario. Sometimes, you know, and it doesn't mean that any individual fire is good, but sometimes you do, in fact, need to burn the house down before anything good would happen. I wouldn't bet on it, which is why I'm not going to do something crazy like, you know, become an American citizen so that I can vote for Trump because I want to do that. I think that's a terrible idea. But just because these things happen, just because Britain left or even, and, you know, dare I say it, even if Trump was to be become president um, that could in fact as some people have predicted you know start the biggest you know left-wing revolution in history rising up against him like we don't know we don't know and so you know don't don't despair just keep paying attention uh, why don't we leave it there we'll go to break this is a green majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM uh, we've been talking a little bit about Brexit we're going to come back and hear from Cheryl again but about her project uh, in just a moment uh, as well, and then we have some more news items, includes the fact, including the fact that uh, Beijing is quite literally sinking. Coming up later in the program as well. Uh, if you're listening locally on a radio station, on the podcast, or via our friends over at rabble.ca, we appreciate uh, appreciate you listening, and thank you very much. And thank you as well to our radio syndicate partners. We're going to go now to Alex to tell us what we're going to listen to. All right, we are back here on the Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM. And as you may have heard just before the break there, we got a, a, a tiny tease from our guest here jumping in uh, as well. But if you've been a longtime listener, you've actually heard Cheryl's voice before because Cheryl's been on. How many times is this for your fourth? No, I think it's my second, actually. Is it really only yeah, second? Well, second, I, I know. I bump into you everywhere else. That must I be I know. It. And yeah. you t you videotape me as well. That's so. true. I have, yes. That 
Yes, in a complete yes. <laughs> that just that sounded weird, Cheryl. <laughs> uh, okay, so we have you in here today uh, because uh, you have directed. I believe is this your for your first? Uh, sorry, ri- written. Uh, is this your first writing of a, a play? No, no. I've uh, written two plays pr- uh, prior to this that performed at the Fringe. I've, I've also been writing another play uh, for adults, um, although it's not like an adult oriented <laughs> That sounds terrible. But uh, <laughs> no, I've been, uh, I've been writing a, a play, another play uh, about um, a family of theatrical professionals, mm-hmm. and they're dealing with the aftermath of a flood. So that's what I've been working on for the past couple of years as well so the the place called water wonders mm-hmm. and we're going to talk we'll talk a little bit more if people are in the toronto area or whatnot it, it's going to be coming up soon so you'll be able to go in, and see it if you if you like um but let's let's talk first mostly about um some of the themes involved here so obviously water is a very big theme uh you've also identified just the sort of general idea of nature deficit disorder mm-hmm. uh in general being a little bit theme um can you maybe just explain some of those concepts how does how how is water the focus of of what you've written and, and how do you tie in that sort of idea of of nature deficit disorder Sure. Well, well, why don't I go back to what inspired me to write it? And um, so I've I've trained as an actor. I I no longer act. um, And I've written plays. And then about 10 years ago, I decided I needed to be a climate activist. So that's taken up a a great deal of my time. And I've I've met a lot of really interesting people along the way. One of them is a woman who works for Environment Canada. And she, her expertise is in um, biodiversity. And I had asked, and she was working, she still works for Environment Canada, but she was working during the the Harper years as well. Can you imagine that? (laughs) I felt really sorry for her, actually, um, because it sounded like just a a terrible environment, uh, you know, so to speak, to to work for. And I had asked her, you know, if there's one thing that you can do, because she was working right under the radar, right, trying to get her work out. And I said, if there's one thing that you can do to make a difference, what would it be? And she said, to teach young people about the importance of nature. And immediately I thought, I'm going to write a play about that. And it's going to be for young audiences. So that's what got the ball rolling. Um, It's really about a boy who's fighting to preserve um, his woods that he loves so much. And he's kind of considered a bit of a freak um, because of his interest in nature. But um, it taps into uh, because he's he's fighting to preserve it from an entrepreneur who wants to create this water bottling processing plant the you know, state of the art and it evolves into this argument on well are nat- are human beings smarter than nature so really that's kind of the the, uh, the gist of it or you know the the, the main um, conflict and um, yeah, so you know, certainly water is part of it, but it's it's our entire ecosystem, and looking at that connection between you know us, our relationship with that that ecosystem, and what happens when we actually tear it all down, um, what happens to our economy, what happens to our personal well being, what happens to our relationships, and that's. One of the yeah, I would agree. One of the sort of biggest um, issues was uh, is just sort of people in general not not even connecting like the idea of like a park to nature. Like it's so is psychologically sort of blocked off that that you know they, if you ask someone like, hey, can I dig up your the park at the corner of your street where you like to walk your dog, and they freak out. But if you ask them to dig up a park somewhere else, they don't. Right. And, it, and it, unfortunately, part of that comes down to just pure self interest and, and personal utility. But I, I think there's also just a huge disconnection there. So are you are you hoping to? 
is the is the idea here to get uh, young people more interested in, in nature itself and and to go explore it? I guess is the idea and, and get them interested to go out and and learn some of these lessons themselves. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I a year no two years ago I applied to the Fringe Festival and in it's a it's a lottery system. Uh, I didn't get in, um, which is you know you have a one in six chance of getting in. But if I did, it would have performed inside, and I realized no 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 I. I actually want this to perform outside. I want kids to actually be in nature when they're watching this. I want, you know, when the protagonist looks up at a tree and says, aren't you noble already? He's actually looking up at a tree. <laughs> so, it would have felt hollow if it had been a cardboard. Exactly, cutout. exactly. It's, uh, so, um, so I reapply, but this time as a site-specific. So it's going to be actually performed outside in the inner courtyard of a church uh, in uh, downtown Toronto. And so tell, tell us a little bit more about some of the, like, the specific, uh, without, you know, of course, giving away uh, the entire play, but, like, so what are, what are some of the ways in which you're trying to illustrate this connection to nature? Is this done through, uh, just through scenery? Is there uh, some trials and tribulations that are experienced? Yes, well, definitely the trials and tribulations. I mean, I think it's really told from the, the point of view of Richard, who is the young, the boy who... Um, you know, has a real tie to, to to nature. His friendship, his best friend, uh, they're estranged, and his friend Tyler would rather kill things than, you know, uh, savor things. So um, there's that kind of disconnect. I really wanted to highlight. You know, there's a na- the Nature Conservancy. Co- sorry, the Nature Conservatory. A couple of years ago in the United States, they released a report on children's engagement with nature. And according to the report, 10% of children spend every day outdoors, 10%. And for me, that's unheard of. I grew up in the 70s. We spent like every single day outside, like, you know, unless you were sick, or if it was really raining, you know, that's what you did. And your parents would always kick you out. These days, unfortunately, children are spending a lot of times indoors. Um, They're watching television. They're playing video games. They would rather do that than go outside. And I think, you know, we have a huge challenge ahead of us. Uh, We, you know, the, the challenge of climate change and other stressors on the environment. And if the next generation are spending all their times in or their time indoors, and they don't have an actual connection to nature, that is a real problem. Um, and there's lots of studies that demonstrate, you know, the more time you spend outdoors, the more, you know, the happier you are, the more uh, cognitive function you have, all those sorts of things, uh, how important it is. Um, so uh, we don't really highlight that, like, specifically, but I think it's it's in the way, in the engagement that the lead character has in the play. Um, and his learning of how, really how important nature is. Mm. And this, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, people will, <clears throat> you could, you could say, well, you know, don't you, you're just, you know, fighting the future in that sense and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's your idea, but you, you know, grew up without video games and this is what kids want to do. And you're sort of fighting reality. But I mean, it's, a, and, and to a certain extent, I think that criticism is valid, but on the, and I think the point you would, if I can put words in your mouth would probably say is, yeah, but the problem is if we don't have that appreciation, like there's a penalty, it's not Absolutely. just about, I, I would prefer kids have this form of entertainment over that entertainment is if they don't have an appreciation for this, it might, you know, kill them. 
yeah. long term, and maybe through forty years or something. But you know, there, there's a there is a price tag attached to to not having this appreciation or this not understanding at the very least. Yeah, and I think it's it's it, again, it's for me, it's that disconnect that we have. Um, this disconnect that started probably hundreds of years ago, certainly in Western culture, where we think that we can dominate nature, we can do all these sorts of things to it, um, and we really have to relearn. You know, our real true engagement and our place in nature. I think that this is critically important uh, if we are going to continue our relationship with it. Because I think we can all agree, if we continue business as, as usual, there's just not going to be a relationship anymore. Because I don't think any of us are going to be around. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea, the idea here is to trick them outside once to come see the play. Yes. <laughs> And then they'll have appreciated it, right? <laughs> That's right. So, uh, uh, so let people know. So, if they are in the Toronto area, of course, unfortunately, if you're if you're one of our international listeners, or even if you're one of our non GTA listeners, potential, this may be too far for you. But if people are around, uh, if you want to just let them know uh, when and where they can come and uh, enjoy your play, absolutely. Well, it's part of the Toronto Fringe Festival, and the Fringe Festival opens next Wednesday, which is the 29th of June. We open officially on the 30th at seven o'clock at St. George the Martyr Church, and that is at 205 John Street. It's just south of the AGO, but best to access it off of Queen. Um, and then we close on the uh, 10th of July. And uh, for more information and to purchase tickets, just go to fringetoronto.com and type in Water Wonders. Awesome. And then just because we have you here and it's how I mostly know you, I was going to let you uh, plug Citizens Climate Lobby as well. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) As a a friend. Well, thank you. And uh, well, Citizens Climate Lobby um, has been around for about 10 years and certainly in the United States, about five years in Canada. We actually just got back from Ottawa a couple of uh, weeks ago where we were lobbying for a price on carbon, a national rising fee on carbon. And some of our members actually just came back from Washington where they joined a thousand people on Capitol Hill, uh, pushing for uh, a price on carbon as well. It's been, you know, it's an interesting year because it's a, you know, we have an election coming up in the United States, but uh, it sounds like they made some really, really great ground. um, And there's been some exciting developments. So Right. So maybe so for from our from a cue from our beginning section, we were talking about people just, you know, feeling frustrated, not wanting knowing what to do and and having this sense of, well, I don't know what else I'm going to do. So I'm just going to burn the house down. Maybe try joining Citizens Climate Lobby first before you vote for Trump. Absolutely. And it's you know, you can go to citizensclimatelobby.ca to uh, learn more. Thank you very much for joining us, Cheryl. Thank you. That was Cheryl McNamara, who is uh, the writer of a play uh, called Water Wonders, which is going to be in the Toronto area if you are. And you can also look up information about Citizens Climate Lobby. We'll have links on the website as usual. Thank you very much to Cheryl. And we're going to go back to Alex, who's going to tell us our second and final music break before we come back and talk about a whole bunch of news, including a sinking Beijing. Alex. That never leave our time. And we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, possibly on one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners all the way across the country and internationally as well. You could be listening on the podcast. If that's the case, you are also going to be looking forward, I'm sure, to our uh, hilarious, frequently hilarious, I laugh, bonus after show, (laughs) uh, where our uh, younger... um, uh, to uh, newer volunteers and younger volunteers uh, take the lion's share of the work by directing us, Stefan and I. It's in reverse order on some additional content. Uh, also, some more colorful language is, is allowed in the bonus show, uh, which is either a promotion or a warning, depending on your personal character and demeanor. And uh, other than that, we just have a good time. 
So frightening news this week, but as in usual, uh, in usual Green Majority style, we deal with uh, terrifying news with bad jokes and silly comments. So we're going to continue that trend now by talking about Beijing. So uh, right now, it turns out there's a, a new uh, a study that came out that was based largely on, I believe, satellite data, a new, uh, either a new type of satellite data or, or someone just hadn't pointed it at Beijing before, apparently. Uh, but they determined that apparently Beijing itself is sinking by 11, uh, 4 inches, 11 centimeters, thank you, Sabina, uh, a year. So just think about that for a second. If, you, if you're... So is, if let's say uh, what I was thinking about, I was trying to think of a good way to talk about this. And I was like, OK, um, think about if you're going to buy a house and it was a brand new house, say, at the waterline, you're going to you have a mortgage. Let's say minimum on average, people are going to own a house for 10 years on average. Let's say, you know, housing flip market aside. So that means that's that's 40 inches. <laughs> that's 40 inches. That's past your first floor. Now, a big part of the problem here. And so this is a very, very serious problem, not to mention that the reason this is happening was because uh, Beijing is largely built on a ton of aquifers. And so uh, as to fuel this massive expansion, of course, Beijing is an incredibly modern city and covered in brand new buildings. And, and the rate at which it's been built up is, is absolutely mind bending. Uh, very modern city full of skyscrapers and all sorts of fun things. Uh, the problem is, is that they've been there's literally I was like, is this like a joke commercial for Jenga? Because they quite literally have been pulling the water out from under their city and using that to feed the people in the city and fuel all the machinery and, and you know, and whatever to build the city. So you're literally pulling the pieces out from the bottom and putting them on top. Like it's almost literal in this case. Um, and so now they're, they're terrified because the city is sitting on a whole bunch of collapsing uh, aquifers, which have been compared to dried out sponges uh, by some of the uh, analysts here. Uh, and the, you're building, and there's been a ton of skyscrapers building up. This, this, we could literally, you know, uh, be looking at a, a like earthquake-like collapse simply from them having, you know, built their <laughs> built on a house of sand. In this case, uh, this is really terrifying for them. And one of the big problems, and, and of course, a lot of people's reaction is, well, what they don't they have any regulations? Well, here's the thing, they do. Uh, they do have a ton of relations. Unfortunately, uh, in addition to its epic reputation for building cities at mind-bending speed, uh, China also has a really big problem with corruption. And uh, as we've seen repeatedly, if you pay any attention to international news, you know corruption is a huge problem in China. It's a problem all over the world, but it's a massive problem in China. And uh, it regularly causes deaths. In this case, it may cost the very life of their capital city. Stefan. Uh, yeah, I was just going to actually say, uh, it reminds me a ton of that old story uh, about uh, a library that that the, the, the architect comes in and builds this fantastic library uh and it's you know it's beautiful it's gorgeous it's it's, it's amazing uh and then and then a year after a year they slowly realize that it's sinking and then it becomes clear eventually that they forgot the weight of the books uh and it's and the, and, the, and it, it, it it's it's a, the parallel to me is 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 pretty clear but also it's this idea of you know the best laid plans you know you don't you know, you can do all we, we humans so often think they figured it all out and then they do something they're like, oh, right. That other variable that we never even considered. Right. Uh, and it's and it, it happens time and time again in place and place and place. Uh, and this is just yet another example of that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and it says in, in the article here, just before we go to Sabina as well, it says, uh, you know, we're currently uh, carrying out a detailed analysis. I'm quoting now from the article. We're currently carrying out detailed analysis of the impacts of subsistence on critical infrastructure like high speed railways <clears throat> in the Beijing plane. Uh, 
hopefully a paper summarizing our findings will come out later this year. And then I'm adding, which will be four centimeters, like <laughs> four more inches will have caught up in that time. This is crazy. Samina. This also underlines the deeper problem of water scarcity, because a lot of the people that live, I mean, the Beijing capital hosts 20 million people. And a lot of a lot of the people are extremely wealthy. So and and this subsidence is happening in the Chaoyang district, which I've lived in. And it's pretty much you will see Louis Vuitton and Gucci and the, the most expensive condos and uh, houses that you can ever possibly think of. So when you were talking about that waterfront house. A lot of the people that pay $20 million for a three-bedroom apartment in this area are going to be losing that investment. So you can also look at it from that way. But also, it's it's really a, a huge problem in the fact that the the, the lack of water in China is is, uh, is so severe that people are doing this unregulated unregulated pumping of groundwater near the railways because they don't have any other any other choice. And a lot of the farmers near there, a lot of the people just trying to support their families don't really have any other choice so they end up paying officials a little bit of money the official puts it in their pocket and then looks the other way but this doesn't only occur in, in china this exact article also talks about mexico city which is the worst one for being built on an aquifer is sinking up to 28 centimeters a year so like almost more than double um 11 centimeters and jakarta in in indonesia is doing the same and bangkok in thailand the same so it really, the underlying issue here is not only that we're overbuilding and overconsuming, is that when we do this, we also deplete like precious water resources that people need to live in. And that's what causes that collapse. So I think it ends up being the like 40th story today whose general theme is, uh, you know, capitalism needs limits. Mm-hmm. People who make money are not the best at making decisions that keep everyone else's interests in mind, even their own. Deirdre, did you ask you wanted to jump in on? Yeah, I just think it's really interesting because even though so water waterfront properties are always really popular, obviously, um, and you see this happening all the time. You see water resources being taken to build uh, cities and big buildings and stuff. Um, and I'm wondering if this is actually going to lead in a decline of waterfront properties being so popular, but like on the other side of things, it may not because it may just shift because these rich, rich people who are, can afford these waterfront properties at these at this moment in time, especially I've seen places off the coast of California um, where these you know multimillionaires, these billionaires live, and what they do is they keep adding to their shoreline, um, and so I wonder if in the end if this is going to affect them or this is going to affect you know, the poverty stricken people, poverty struck, poverty stricken people, um, you know, on the other side of things like inland, maybe. Yeah. Well, it means that the the guy that was like, you know, only like middle upper class instead of rich who has yeah. his like condo, like 47 blocks from the waterfront. is so going to be laughing yeah. uh, with his beachfront property in 20 <laughs> years. Uh, I think we'll uh, maybe leave that there. So one last thing about the story I should mention, of course, of course, there it's there is there isn't a lack of a plan. Uh, there's a great skepticism that this plan will work. They are trying to divert water back into the aquifer to prop it back up. But I mean, I think anyone can can tell from just even a very quick glance at that, that that is at best a long shot uh, temporary uh, solution to a larger ongoing problem that currently does not appear to have a solution. But that's the theme of, I was going to say this week's show, but (laughs) 
Uh, do you want one more thing? Oh, I just wanted to say that where are they getting this water that they're pumping back into this aquifer? And is it going to be clean? And they don't mention that. And is there condos over that property? And uh, <laughs> if it's not clean, then a lot of the people that use that aquifer to drink water are going to be not are not going to be having access to clean water. All right. Thank you, Sabina and Deirdre. Uh, so we'll move on now to uh, an, uh, an article uh, from Dismog Canada. It's called No Need for Site C Review. Uh, review panel chair speaks out against dam in new video. Now, we've not really been talking about Site C so much on the program. Uh, that wasn't really intentional. It just kind of kept not making the cut. So uh, I wanted to carve this out and make sure we spoke about it a little bit today. Uh, so it's a, a giant uh, hydroelectric dam that's being uh, built in uh, BC. It's called the Site C Dam. And, uh, you know, generally, at first glance, it was someone would be forgiven for being confused by this issue because, you know, they're building hydro, they're not building a coal plant. Um, Shouldn't you at least be conflicted about this? Uh, And and to be completely fair and honest uh, about two things, A, I'm not super informed about this issue. And B, because of my super lack of informing, I was also like a little bit like I'm not really... Like, okay, but like, we should really take into account what's being offset by this. What, what are they not building by building this? And I, I, my initial impression was that this was uh, sort of pure nimbyism and that it, this may not, you know, th- 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 it wasn't as cut and dry as some of the actors were making it out to be. Turns out I was completely wrong. Happy to be publicly wrong uh, because the, uh, Harry Swain, who's the chair for the federal provincial pa- uh, panel tasked with reviewing the dam, uh, has said, quote, I think we're making a big mistake, a very expensive mistake. Uh, he goes on to say in the video, quote, of the $9 billion it will cost, at least $7 billion will never be returned. You and I as ratepayers will end up paying $7 billion for something we'll never get anything for. And the reason he's saying that is that there's no need for it. Uh, if, uh, if, there w- if there was, in fact, a need, he's saying there's no need for the power uh, as within their current mix, and that if they wanted to shift their mix, they could shift it to smaller renewables and other small-scale uh, resources. Uh, the power is not currently needed. It's not taking anything significantly uh, dirty offline. Needless to say, uh, as well, that it's also wiping out a whole bunch of, of course, you know, what else is usual story? Q, jump in. Oh, Stefan doesn't have a mic. I'm trying to throw to Stefan. He doesn't have a mic. Can you guess what, uh, what else is wrong with this? Try and guess. This is this is an environment issue in Canada. Uh, Who else is being screwed over? It's on, well, there's yeah, there's many reports that First Nations have been uh, ding 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 <laughs> uh, have been yeah, we're pushing people off the land. It's, it's a classic Canadian thing, right? It's, it's almost like our, as Canadian as loving the Queen. Yeah, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as, yeah, it's, that, was, that, that didn't work. So. No, it didn't. <laughs> so a uh, very expensive mistake as well. So we're talking about uh, a whole bunch of the piece really beautiful. A, 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 if nothing else, a beautiful scrap of land also happens to be currently in use by people as their homes. Uh, not to mention it's unnecessary, not to mention it's ungodly expensive, not to mention that it's uh, environmentally questionable, I think is the most cautious and careful and, and, and uh, hopeful thing you could say about it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know how much we can say about it other than I think that uh, if you're if you're a resident of BC and you have not looked into this, I think you should. Uh, your voice either way is relevant. As someone that lives there, uh, I think your opinion matters more than I. Uh, so I just urge people to actually pay attention to it and, and apologize that, that we haven't followed it more than, than we could. I think now that I know more about it, uh, I really wish we'd spent a little bit more time on it earlier. But it is not too late to... Uh, uh, to contact your uh, local politician and tell them how uh, upset you are, but I, uh, but this is very at the very least deserves more attention than we've been giving it. Stephen, uh, I was going to say that what I find so interesting, at least a little bit about 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 this story, uh, is that it's 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 kind of it's again it's, it's classic Canada, I think, to some extent uh, to to mention that when it's when it's when it's when it's when it's, when it's you know 
when it's like when it's not First Nations losing their homes. Uh, when it's the settlers losing their homes, suddenly losing your place to live is a travesty. Right. Uh, you know whether it's you know whether it's Fort McMurray or anything like that. And not to say that that's not, but what that is is when you also then say put a mine in the middle of a caribou route. What you're doing is also gripping up a ton of First Nations uh, in, in Aboriginal places where they live. And our reaction to that is you need to move. Uh, and so this it's 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 this it's this obvious difference of reaction about what we decide is counts as a tragedy uh, when some people have to move and are and we're just yelling at other people to move uh, is just so so obviously broken uh, and so obviously ridiculous uh, that it just it's whenever another story comes up then it's like oh no this like you know the houses that the houses have to be just demolished and they have to move uh, that like we do this all the time for to so many people uh, and, and and to some extent we and and then our politicians actually just tell them that they, that's that's the solution to the problem is to not be there anymore and it's and it, to, to, it's it, it that is the, every time they come like this comes up, uh, that that dichotomy of of responses uh, and, and and that example of environmental racism just becomes comes more and more clear. Uh, a comment on that, Spina? Um, I don't know if we've actually covered this in the show. If I just read this article, um, an article a couple of months ago was uh, talking about the lack of political movement behind the Site C Dam, and it was a young woman in her twenties who had gone on a hunger strike for about three weeks, and there was zero media coverage on it until she was rushed to the hospital. And there was one article in the in the Globe and Mail and one article on the National Observer on it. And what she was saying is that it's very troubling. To to see that you care so much about a certain topic, but when there is no media coverage on this, then no one ever knows about it, and whatever you do is feels very futile. And mm-hmm. a lot of people think it's because of that exact same thing that you said. Oh, this is this is renewable energy, and uh, it's completely possible that you know we can use this for the future, and we don't have to build you know fossil fuel or we don't have to transport fossil fuel. But this is going to cause a lot of biodiversity biodiversity loss and also displacement of indigenous communities, and it is not needed in Vancouver, which is really what what the main issue is: is that it this energy is not really needed there. And if they really did need something, they could definitely go with smaller, more renewable energy projects. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, I think this is a great opportunity uh, <laughs> because even though uh, the BC Premier seems to really want to push this dam through, um, this is an opportunity for the federal government, Trudeau government, to actually uh, demonstrate some of this indigenous consultation that they've been kind of Mm. Promoting all this time, so I'm. Are you just, daring Justin Trudeau? I, I challenge Justin Trudeau oh. to uh, listen to your First Nations people. You heard it here NBC. first: a politician <laughs> being asked to do things they said they would do. <laughs> what? Deirdre, you oh, know what? It's following it's, David Cameron's footsteps. It's it's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 too soon, too soon. So, uh, just a few minutes left here. Uh, I think the one I'd like to go out on that we we'll, we have more, of course, and, and Deirdre and uh, Sabina will be uh, uh, taking the lead here in the after show. But as far as the last one on air, I'm just going to make a sort of live uh, executive decision here. Uh, to uh, the last one here was the more profit, less fish. And the the reason I wanted to point this out was uh, it was a a, a a report that was done on the expert of fish and seafood profits. Of course, here, and if you're one of our international listeners 
or one of our American listeners or just really young, uh, you may not be aware of the fact that Canada has a sort of a bit of a history when it comes to overfishing, of course. Um, what? Yes, it turns out. Um, and so we, you know, we already decimated the fishing stocks. Large portions of uh, eastern Canada are now rely, uh, as far as like a big economic driver, solely on fossil fuels. But despite the fact that they had potentially, and this is, of course, don't for a second think that I'm I'm blaming uh, any individual or or even uh, necessarily any specific company. But just as far as like from a management point of view, it was a mismanaged resource. There there could have very easily been a, a if managed properly, an infinite supply of fish off the east coast uh the collapse of that fishery due to just the ignorance of uh, ignoring reality uh, caused it to collapse and has now been a significant contributor to the economic woes of uh, the a huge portion of our country uh now it looks like we have continued to not learn that lesson because um uh, both the diversity and a number of other key uh, health impacts, uh, impacts are going down. However, the interesting thing, the reason why you're probably not hearing it about it so much, is that the actual profitability is going up. So we have less fish. It's a less rural resource. But as we a lot of times we currently see is that as uh, during the end point, we usually get a peak, uh, usually peaks right before it drops. And the reason for that was you invest more and more. It's so profitable more and more and more in skimming fish. And so you're getting more and more effective. It doesn't mean there's more fish. It means you're deploying more expensive expensive uh, uh, resources or higher, better technology to, to pull more and more of this research faster and faster and faster, and then you hit a wall. And so a lot of people, if they're looking at like the, the fishing industry, is if they just look at it the way most things get looked at these days, uh, which is, well, look, let's see how the stocks are trading. Uh, it looks like what Canada's uh, fishing industry is doing amazingly, uh, despite the fact that it is almost certainly uh, we're looking at another round two here for as far as that. So, I mean, just uh, there's my, my daily thing of yet another example uh, of you know capitalism making all the wrong choices and uh, our leaders having either not enough backbone, not smart enough, or outright corrupt uh, to actually try and rein this in. And at some point, I think we have to acknowledge that uh, you know capitalism is a mindless beast that will eat everything in its path if we don't put limits on it. I really like something. We may come back to it. I played a clip for Stefan the other day about uh, I forget who it was, some American comedian, uh, but saying that socialism is democracy's lap band, not its replacement. Uh, and I sort of largely agree with that, uh, although I didn't necessarily agree with the whole piece. But the, that's one statement I did, which is that we're not talking about throw at capitalism, bring in socialism. We're talking about let's just have a common rational decision that capitalism can't make decisions for itself because it's a mindless robot that will eat everything. Uh, and here's the 95th article this week to throw in the pile, uh, I think, demonstrating that. That's all the time we have for, for the live show today. You've been listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Thank you very much to uh, all of my co-hosts, to Cheryl uh, McNamara, uh, as well as all of you, the listeners, for listening to our program. Uh, if you would like to hear more, we can uh, go and download the podcast off the website where we have a short additional after show. Uh, other than that, have a good Green Week, folks. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all real soon. That was the main show this week. Thank you again for listening. If you can become a member, we could really use your support. You can do that at Green Majority, uh, sorry, at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority. You can help us get some better equipment uh, and also add things like live streaming, which we're trying to work on right now, and, and really we could launch at any time if we can just get a little bit more support. This will help us reach a wider audience and, frankly, do a better job. If that sounds good to you, please become a member today. Other than that, please enjoy our both informative and, I think, kind of funny this week bonus show. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Green Majority After Show. Um, 
We are here today with myself, Deirdre, Sabina, Stefan, and Darren. Um, and if you hadn't uh, listened to the, uh, the actual show today, um, we talked a lot about people. Uh, so for the after show... <laughs> I'm 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 only going to jump in that the I, I love the idea that someone skips through the actual show like ahead 45 minutes tries to guess when we would be done and then is like you know what it's the bonus show and I need to hear uh, that's that's what I'm going to do today I'm going to skip all of the other stuff be like bam this is it um, so if you are those one like maybe they only want to hear us when we can swear I mean that's it they just want that. to hear a fucking show and so they it's like come to the bonus show and only the bonus show. I I think it's the hardcore fans of Deirdre and I, <laughs> <laughs> the people that tuned in maybe five months ago onto this show, yeah, those and people. they just decided to become hardcore fans of the last 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, that is half our audience. Uh, so, so never mind. So I actually, I retract all my statements. Please, Deirdre, please continue. You are welcome. Speak to your people. <laughs> Stefan's only here to make you guys look good. <laughs> so, thank you. Thank you, Stefan. You know. Um, so I just wanted to make a good transition to nature. Ah, there you go. That was that was the whole point of that. Uh, but you ruined it. Sorry. Um, <laughs> That's on me. It's on me, everyone. Uh, so let's talk about nature. Uh, so one of the stories that we didn't talk about today was um, the addition of 11 new species to the Species at Risk Act, um, which is one of our uh, federal... Uh, policies that are supposed to protect species at risk in Canada at different levels from threatened to critically endangered. Um, and this this story can be kind of interpreted in two ways if you just look at it. Um, it can be taken as like, oh, obviously under the Trudeau government, more species are being endangered and therefore... This is bad, but um, that's only if you don't look at it closely enough. Um, the actual the actual fact is that we have a huge backlog of species that have just been forgotten by the government <laughs> and have been um, recommended uh, for the Species at Risk Act for a long time, but just haven't been put on there yet. And this backlog is who knows how long it is. Um, who knows what these species are doing today? Um, and this this eleven species addition is actually a great thing for um, for species in general because they're protected, so to say, or so to say. I guess. Well, and that has there's an awareness. There's an awareness. There's more of the awareness. Species. But the thing is, we don't know how much is being done to protect these species because there are so many now that are being affected. Yeah, no, I was just going to jump in to clarify just for people that it's, it's aside from simply like, hey, here's some, you know, here's a watch list of things that we need to be concerned about. This has uh, direct policy implications and regula- regulatory implications because there are certain obligations the government has to take mm-hmm. under the law once something is on the list. So, for instance, and this is something that Harper, to some degree, was very successful at undermining, uh, <laughs> but it is still in some case, which is that, for instance, if a species comes on and then you want to build a dam and it's like, you know, it's one remaining habitat that's going to make it incredibly difficult or impossible to, you know, to be able for that project to go through. And so I think, I think there's extremely obvious reasons why this list was delayed because not putting them on the list meant that they didn't have to, uh, you know, avoid that hurdle when they went to go and okay, rubber stamp a bunch of projects. So it's, it's fairly straightforward why they didn't get added during Harper's tenure. 
Yeah, which uh, which kind of sucks because now they have this list of species that need to be considered, and the government probably doesn't have enough time to cover all of them. So that means that certain species are probably gonna gonna feel the pain uh, a little bit. Um, but yeah, I was wondering if you guys had any uh, input about kind of that topic. Uh, the the topic of species extin- extinction is really really difficult because a lot of people like to take that evolutionary approach and say, well, it's survival of the fittest or survival of the most resilient. So if you, um, from an evolutionary point of view, if you say that, okay, well, this species just couldn't adapt to its, to its surroundings, therefore it's not fit to survive anymore. Well, it's not really the species' fault. Like usually when evolution occurs, it's through tens of thousands of years and the environment changes slowly and the species also adapts with it. However, what's happening due to climate change and also biode- biodiversity losses uh, is a huge um, implication. Uh, what how do you say? Not implication. A huge outcome of that. Uh, we're changing the, our environment so quickly that a lot of the species which we didn't know about, haven't discovered yet, or have known about, are dying at an unprecedented rate. And for some people, it might say you might say, "Well, who cares?" Well. I think we were talking about the tiger shrimp, I think, three weeks ago. A lot of these things have huge implications on our way of life. First of all, just who are we to, you know, take over nature? And, you know, why is a building more important than a certain species? But that, that's, the moral, that's the moral problem. But we can also talk about, you know, what scientific discoveries can we find? What kind of plant is not existing today that we could have used in order to, you know, find a cure for cancer? There's a lot of this is obviously a very like anthropocentric way of thinking, like a very human centered point of view. Like, let's save these animals because of, you know, they can serve us something in the future. But how about, you know, let, let's let's look at our environment in the way that we're part of it rather than we own it or we're not part of it and we can just completely control it and and conserve it and do all of this. Yeah. Mm. And well, and I, I just want to say I would go further. I would disagree in a way that I'm not actually disagreeing with you, but I would disagree and to say that it's it's human centered because in a in a way you could say it's sort of it's 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 anthropocentric, but it's also with a completely non-real understanding of of humans because mm-hmm. it's anthropocentric because we like to say, well, okay, well, who cares about that tree frog because we need a highway? Uh, but they forget that that works both ways, and uh, exactly as what Deirdre was just saying. Uh, survival of the fittest. So you're not going to have any complaints when the Zika virus wipes out humanity, right? Like, so <laughs> it's, it's the people who have that sentiment are complete, are extremely scientifically unaware and completely unaware of reality. I mean, we've had all these superbugs. Uh, a recent, uh, I, I forget the news article, but like last week or the week before, there was a, a new bug that uh, is now a su- uh, one of the super viruses that's completely immune. We do not have any tools left to use on it. Uh, has now been found in like a hospital patient. We have the v- Zika virus coming out. Uh, all these new things are just around the corner, and you know it's it's done with this cavalier attitude that assumes that we cannot also be victim of those same problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, newsflash, we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that very same attitude may in fact be our downfall. Yeah. yeah, I just wonder how they're prioritizing these species because I mean, like what you guys are saying, um, like we tend to have our own view of what's important, and often that comes down to. Uh, the big guys first. It comes down to charismatic megafauna first, and that's because the public cares about them, and uh, they're beautiful, like pandas. Pandas! 
People pandas. love pandas. Are Why are they still alive? Really <laughs> still into pandas. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> pandas are definitely a pet peeve of mine. They're they're adorable <laughs> and amazing, but they should have they should have gone extinct so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think Deirdre is trying to start. You know, this is out of Deirdre, This is how this is how the vegan thing started on this show. Oh, you realize no. that in the bonus show, someone said something very controversial, <laughs> uh, and then it, the whole thing. If in three weeks we have to do an entire panda conversation, <laughs> you know, our own version of Pros Panda Watch, it's on you, Panda Gate. Totally do. <laughs> panda Gate. Totally do a panda gate. Yeah. Pros and cons. Pros and cons of pandas. Of pandas. Mm. Pros. So what you're cute. saying, Deirdre, is that we could solve climate change by wiping out the pandas? <laughs> unless, <Basically>. yes. Unless, <laughs> unless we make a YouTube channel that's dedicated to pandas because they're gold for YouTube. No, you know oh, what? And use the money to fund something else. Here, here's, what, here's what the idea is. We'll create a YouTube channel where we all dress up as pandas and have some real pandas and this t- family of pandas will promote, hey, it's cool that you love us. We love you too. But don't forget my friend, the tree frog. Yes. You know, and we'll like kind of like use that star power to borrow it, to lend credibility to, to less like popular species. Which panda is real? That is that is exactly what happens and why pandas, they're called the brand ambassador. They're called the models of uh, of zoos or anything because in the environment that the panda lives in is usually con- conserved. So yeah. whatever small, random, ugly insect yeah. is there that needs to be saved in order for that ecosystem to continue and no one's going to care about it because yeah. it looks gross. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a panda. Like we need, like they just put a panda in there and everybody's like, oh cute, I can identify with it because it has a face like me. And then it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? They do that's, make a good umbrella. That's exactly, the, they're really just the brand ambassadors. That's like true. they're just like a cute thing that you put there in order for people to consume your ideology of conserving a certain environment the environment but what's really happening is people are actually conserving you know the insects that are there in order to like have the ecological function of that exact Mm -hmm. space because if uh, like some major keystone species are extinct then the ecological function of that area will be lost so they put some brand ambassador species there and they'll say okay well this is where this lives, so we have to save it. Well, I, I feel I want to cue Stefan here because I know we we had a conversation about uh, polar bears being yes. sort of iconic, used exactly. in the same way as well. Uh, but just to sort of cue that, I think uh, to to throw to you on that, Stefan, was that the idea that um, like. It, <laughs> The, the trouble with trying to think like in our from our own point of self-interest only, it, first of all, it, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's wrong with that we've already said. But the other thing is that we're just we're actually not it's not possible to make an educated decision on what's in our own best interest because we just don't have enough information. So even just being like, OK, well, you know, humans are out for humans and the other species can look out for themselves. Uh, oh, but let's save cats and dogs because we like them. Let's save, you know, chickens and cows because we eat them. Let's save, you know, a couple of beetles, maybe some butterflies. You know, but in this entirely complex web of life, we don't know that, you know, that one species, uh, you know, as as Sabina was just saying, that one species of gnat we just wiped out turns out had an enzyme that cured cancer. Or that if we wipe out that species of gnat that we, oops, turns out we made a mistake and 43, you know, Mm -hmm. steps through the the food chain later, turns out that was the only thing keeping this species alive. And that kept this thing in check. And then it turns out now we have giant lizard monsters with laser guns. (laughs) You know, who knows? We don't like we're simply not we don't we the our biggest arrogance is thinking that we know enough to even make those sorts of decisions. Yeah. Stefan. Uh, I'm going to say that if I have to choose an Armageddon, 
giant laser, giant lizards <laughs> with laser guns is a is at least an interesting way to go out. Like, I my main concern is that that, that is that we are we are headed towards the most boring Armageddon. Yes, uh, like there are so many more interesting versions of Armageddon that we can come up with, and like you know, and, and ignoring climate change is really just straight up asking for the most boring version of that. Yeah. Um, I think it was a movie Interstellar that had that really good uh, old uh, poem quote that we will not go quietly into the night. Is, it, yeah. is that Interstellar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first of all, that's an, an unbelievably beautiful poem uh, mm-hmm. and very, very apt for that movie regardless of what you thought for the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also, I'm also completely in agreement with that sentiment. Worst case scenario, we're just going to light this puppy up because you know, <laughs> God forbid, God forbid we go out in a whimper. Well, that, well, yeah, that, that's what the Trump we voters were, say. And the quote uh, for the movie was, you know, we shall not go quietly into the night as in we're going to succeed. And right. my case is like, no, no, we're going to go. It just ain't going to be quiet. <laughs> well, but, but see, and I think actually that brings a salient point that has nothing to do with our conversation, so I apologize. Uh, I'm going to derail us for half a second. Uh, but it was something I've been thinking of when we were talking earlier about the Brexit stuff, uh, which is that all of this is like I, my biggest thing about the Brexit vote is that it, it's a sign of things to come in a very depressing way. Uh, you know, it's a sign of things to come in that uh, what caused, like, you know, is that climate change causes migration. People react to migration negatively. They create protectionist, uh, uh, they, they create protect, they, they spawns heavy nationalism and protectionist values. Those things then separate themselves from the global economy. We do a worse job of actually then coming together to actually fight climate change, and that recreates the problem over again. Uh, and that's my biggest concern. My biggest concern is that we're sitting in, a st- in, this, in this place where we have this uh, – we've created a loop uh, and a loop that I don't know if we can get out. Like I really thought – I really think that like that, that I, what I'm scared about is that Brexit is the first of many. And, and, and the first of uh, – of, of, and it will be seen as sort of the beginning of this just pulling back from, from society, pulling back from the things. And like a I got mine, fuck you reaction, which is what everyone has been warning the world about forever. Like it's the, it's the first example, really, 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 really hard example of, of, this, of, this, of, this, of this fear. Um, and, and that's what I'm concerned about. Uh, to jump back onto your actual question about polar bears, uh, I forget the question. <laughs> no, that was good. And, uh, and in fact, I think that made an excellent final comment from Stefan. So why don't we, Stefan, why don't we leave that there, Sabina and, uh, and Deirdre, and then I'll close this out. I just wanted to say that another thing that's extreme, first of all, first first comment is I thought that giant jellyfish were your, was your favorite right, okay, so Armageddon second, scenario. Okay, giant jellyfish are still my favorite because <laughs> they actually could guns. happen. Uh, lizard robots, uh, unless, the lizard, unless the lizard people are fighting the jellyfish, uh, okay. in which case, new number one, <laughs> then jellyfish, <laughs> then lizards, okay. as, a, as a descending order of Armageddon's. Now that we have that, um, no, the, the other comment that you're, that you're talking about, the main problem is that what I think is that it's it's just how media portrays the superficiality of like refugees and 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 uh, climate migrants. Like they don't think of it as this cl- climate change caused this. Therefore, there's a huge migration of people mm-hmm. that literally have nowhere else to go, or else them and their families going to be killed. And then you have the, these people that are misinformed, saying, "Oh, these the these immigrants they're taking our jobs and they're just ruining our economy." No, they don't care about you. They just literally want to go and find a safe, warm place to lie down with their family. Like they, I, And for me, I think not getting to the root of the problem and looking at this superficial aspect of you're going to take my minimum paying job 
I, I think that that's really the main cause because we live in the, a superficial ignorance. We don't go deeper to look at the root of the problem and say, okay, let's unite globally to end climate change. Therefore, we will stop having migrants come to a place where nobody wants them. You know, nobody wants to go somewhere where everybody hates them. So let's, you know. Yeah, they're not. They're not leaving. They, 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 this, I know I said I was my last comment before, but I think it ties back to the other thing about moving. Mm-hmm. Is they're not leaving because they want to. Yeah. No one leaves their home because they want to. It's clear because we've been telling frustrations to leave for the last like hundred years, and they've been hating it. Like it's been pretty clear that we've been we've like people don't want to leave where they are uh, unless they're unless they're not given a choice uh, or they're or 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 their their only hope for you know a, a better life somewhere else. Like this is and yet yeah and then we're, so we're we're forcing them to leave and then vilifying when they get somewhere else. It's okay. it's a double edged sword that they can't get out of. But it's so much easier than like doing anything about it. <laughs> yeah. God, that's depressing and that true. Is, I'm just like, ugh. The, the, my, the disturbing part of that for me, Deirdre, was not that you said it, was that it was with the calm confidence of what you said. <laughs> I'm now slightly disturbed. Karen. Playing the devil's advocate. Honestly, yeah. for me, I get super, super heated on this discussion, especially if people say that it's easier. Yeah. Because I yeah. tell them, well, if you're afraid of people taking your job, yeah. well, then get off your ass and get a job <laughs> first, and then come and talk to me and see who's going to take your job. Yeah. Maybe go and get a job and create some more jobs for other people so then you don't have to sit there and complain anyways this is my my point of view it does not reflect this show you can come at me if you want to but, but yeah, yeah, yeah we'll have another show about pandas yeah. and then this this is great yeah why do we even hire government um. <laughs> Like, but just have Walmart just, yeah, just run us. See, like again, we're going seventeen ten changes, but that's like the the jobs thing again is 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 true. Like the jobs thing, one hundred percent isn't about jobs, but living, right? Yeah. Like if you were if you weren't concerned if you weren't concerned about whether or not you could live with live no matter what, you wouldn't give a shit if people come take your jobs because mm-hmm. you could live anyways. Uh, and so we've criticized where you can't live without a job. So what they're actually scared of is losing their livelihoods. Uh, and so like you can reduce the fear of losing the job if you can actually take care of the people who don't currently have a job. Mm-hmm. And yet we've refused to do that. And we refuse then, then we use scaremongering about the job things to fight to, to fight immigrants, even though they've been proven time and time again to actually increase jobs. Exactly. Actual thing. <laughs> immigrants increase the number of jobs in a space. That has been shown over and over in every study. Uh, but still, that's still the, the, the ongoing conversation. Um, and each one of these steps, you know, it's like God we're fucked. <laughs> And with that, I'm walking out of the studio. <laughs> Stefan is storming out. I think, uh, yeah, uh, 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 Deirdre That's nearly opened up a Pandora's box, but we're not going to open <laughs> it with 18 minutes into the bonus show. So we'll leave that there. Uh, my my final thought, of course, was, you know, I'm quickly becoming uh, uh, an advocate of the sort of Terminator sort of mindset, which is uh, one that, you know, it's a little bit too late to save the world. So a few of us just need to squirrel ourselves away in a hole and, uh, you know, until it, uh, the dust settles. And then, uh, Stefan, I've got a few ideas about a, a new society. We can <laughs> and then start. turn the lizards into cyborgs. Yes, cyborg lizards. Uh, this is the reason I think this is why people skip fifty-five minutes uh, to get to get to just the bonus show. Stefan's cursing. All right, folks, that's it. We're going to cut it off right there. Thanks so much for listening. Have a good green week, and we'll see you all real soon.